Well, hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Switch of Play with myself, Mark Simpson, and with Mickey Barron. Good evening, Mickey. How are you? Good evening, Mark. I'm all right. I've, um, I've been at work this week as well, uh, earlier in the week, so it's, it's been a bit of a change. I've done some lessons from home, which is incredibly difficult, so... Um, but it's nice to be able to get outside. I've just finished a game of head tennis with the boys outside. So, <laughs> quick change in everybody. Is that going to be a difficult transition back into work life again now that it's starting to pick up? Do you know what? I think I think it's going to be hard for the teachers and the students. I think it's yeah. going to take a long time to get back to, to how it was. And it, I, I don't even think in September that it'll be back to normal as people remember it. So, yeah, it, it will be a hard transition for everyone, I think. So, yeah, and looking back at the podcast, I mean, last week's edition with Chris Turner went on really well. People loved hearing those stories and reminiscing about, you know, the good times. Yeah, definitely. I think Chris's enthusiasm shone through, you know. I think he, he's desperate to, to be involved in football and pass on his knowledge to either young coaches or players or even old coaches, you know. he's He's got a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience. And, and it was just nice to see him again, you know. I mean, yeah. it, it, a long time since I've actually spoke to him, so... And I think hearing his voice for me as a player takes me back to, to sort of the days when we were playing and, and the sort of good times that we had as a group. And certainly one fellow, one fellow who had great enthusiasm for the game is Kevin Henderson, the night's guest. What, what are your memories about uh, Hendo being around the, the dressing room? Yeah, Hendo, what you get with Hendo is what you see. Do you know what I mean? He's, he's straight up and down. Uh, I remember sometimes if he didn't think matches were good enough, he'd tell you. If he didn't think training was good enough, but... The one thing Hendo always did, he always trained and, and played really, really hard. He'd give us all for the team whenever he played. And um, as a defender, when you say that from some of your forwards, it's, it's such a big help. And uh, he's just a good guy. He's just a nice guy. Nice to be around and he's always positive and always smiling. Yeah, so without further ado, welcome to uh, today's guest, uh, Kevin Henderson. Good afternoon and, uh, and welcome along, Hendo. Cheers, Mark. A pleasure, mate. Nice to see you both, you and Mickey. Hiya, Hendo. I hope you're keeping well, mate. Aye, top man. I'm all right, son. I'm all right. We, we've got to ask, because we ask all of our guests at this particular point in, you know, in, in, in the world, it's just gone mad at the minute. How has it affected you? I know you've been back at work, you've been enjoying some time on the golf course, but in terms of the, the pandemic, how much of a, an impact has it had? Um, I'll be honest with you, when we first, when Boris made the announcement on the Monday night and we stopped, the first two weeks were like a holder. I was yeah. ready for a rest and... It was nice. We spent a lot of time with the family. I got to spend time with my daughter, which I don't really get to do. Yeah. So, but after two or three weeks, I started to, oh, we're going back to work, I'll do this. The phone was gone. So, I just started to build up and up. So, it, it was a nice time to get some time with the family. So, I, it was a good break. Because you do, you, you do the, the, the kitchen and bedroom fitness. Is that what your role? Yeah, yeah. When I, when I packed in playing, um, my father-in-law was ready to retire and my wife wanted to take over the family business, which was bedrooms at the time. So I thought, well, I've had enough of football. The legs are enough. Let's give it a go. So I did. And here we are, what, 10, 12 years later. And we now do kitchens, home offices. So we've just extended what Billy set up in 1972. And it's a lot of stress, like. Yeah. I but... I get a holiday, pays the bills, and I get a game of golf. So, Hendo, just how did you find that? You know, when you left football and you started working properly, as right. everyone tells me I do now. How did you find that? <laughs> Was it difficult? Or um, I I came into football late, Mickey. I was 23 when I turned pro. So I'd had a work in life. I served my time as electrician. Um, I'd worked in an office. I'd worked in a pipe manufacturer. So I knew what work in life was all about. And I knew I was going to go back to a work in life. So I, I was prepared for it. I'd done it. And I knew what it was. Um, the thing I missed was the banter and the constant taking the mick out of each other and setting each other up. Um, so I got massively into my golf. And I took Jamie's coaching on. I coached my son's football team. So I just kept really busy, Mick. Yeah. I think... It's, you've got to try and replace it with something, and you? you've got to, to find the situation. I mean, I went into a school, and I was lucky to the school I went into that I had one lad who was an ex-analyst for, for Cardiff, so he knew a lot about football, and the two of the teachers wanted to talk about football all the time. And I was lucky I fell straight into that, but 
I think coaching the kids' team or even going to watch the kids on a weekend, it just gives you that little bit of football that sometimes you need. Oh, you need something, Mick, absolutely. And when I stopped playing, I then started, I went to watch my son and they were getting battered every week. And I was never going to be a coach, Mickey. I wasn't the most patient of blokes. <laughs> and I thought, I don't know if I can do this for kids. So I got talked into it and me and my mate um, took them over at six or so under sixes. And I took Jamie all the way to under 18. Yeah. And whatever, yeah. we stayed with the local side for eight Yeah. Then he went to Newcastle City and I thought, right, I'll just be a father. Now I'll just watch it. The coaching's gone. But a lad called Jeff Hearn asked us to go with him. So I ended up coaching again. Um, but as that tailed off and he went to uni, I then got into me golf big style. I've, every Saturday religion now is golf. And as it happens, every Sunday's golf. <laughs> but you can see what happens when it's it's filling those. I remember when I when I retired and well I was coaching when I when I left Hartlepool the Saturday afternoon was an absolute killer for me because I was Aye. I was ending up I was ending up going to the Metro Centre or retail or wherever and I was just wanting to check the scores I was wanting and and the thing I really missed was was the so hour and a half before kickoff so Aye. that like time going to a game or, or just sitting with the players and talking to them before you went out and did the warm up. And I really struggled for probably a year. Even now, if I don't play me over 40s on a Saturday morning, I'm twitchy on a Saturday afternoon at three o'clock. It's built into you. So replacing with golf or, or trying to do something at that time is perfect. I, I had to have something and you do need something, Mickey. Absolutely. And luckily, I didn't have a lot of time between packing in and taking Jamie's football over, which gave us a focus of training on a Saturday. I even started, mate, a 10 year old, I was making them train on a Wednesday or train on a Saturday. If the pitches were frozen, we're going to do the beach. I mean, we went old school. Yeah. Uh, you know, now if you said, right, it's snowing, lads, we're going down to the beach. I don't know if health and safety would let you. Yeah, I know. But it's, it's, it's that routine, isn't it? It's that like, well, I, we always train on a Wednesday, so it doesn't matter what's happening, we'll train on a Wednesday. And that's how we were brought up when we we're playing. That, I, well, these are the days you train, and we're going to train no matter what. Aye, that's what, exactly. It's raining, and? Well, it's starting doing, and? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I used to have eight-year-olds chucking down rain or snow or ice. But I tell you what, they didn't half improve as a team, and they learned from that. And now my son, his teammates are now mates for life. They're still not yeah. around, and they still talk about those days. So, something good come out of it. Is it difficult, just building on Mickey's point, it must be difficult, I suppose, as a, a footballer, living that life and having that, you know, that buzz and that adoration, even at the level you, you two both played at, um, to then go into the normal life, so to speak. Just quite a strange, you know, thing to do. Um, like I say, Mark, I, I'd done that before, and I always knew that I was going back to a work in life, nine to five, eight to six, whatever. I knew, so I was mentally prepared for it. And I also had spent um, a season under Stan Tennant at Burnley. And that was a wake-up call. That you were either a man, you sank or you swim. Yeah. And yeah. I got through it. And at the time, I hated it. I'll be honest with you, I hated it. Stan was a really, really hard man. Great gaffer, very successful. But it was a culture shock for me. I'd had Chris Waddle beforehand, who was great with us. And then Stan was a man. And that toughened me up mentally. And that has given me a mental toughness that coming out of football, I'm quite positive. It doesn't take much. If I get knocked back, I'm back then. It doesn't take much to knock us down, but I soon bounce back. Yeah. And that mental toughness came from football. You learn it in football. Yeah. I think, to be honest, Hendo and, and Mark, I, that was the, the one thing I really struggled with was... In my career, even though I'd left Middlesbrough, but at the time when I left Middlesbrough, it wasn't like I was ever going to play. So I, I wanted to leave Middlesbrough. And then when I left Hartlepool, that was my first real kick in the teeth. Aye. It was a kick in the balls for us, you know what I mean? And it really affected us. And, it, and to be honest, I'd had loads of people saying, look, Mickey, you're a good coach. You've done this, you've done that. You've got... So for a month, I wasn't worried. Not at all. I was in the garden. I was chilling out. The kids loving it. But the phone wasn't ringing. And after six weeks, I'm thinking, look, I've got another six, 
six weeks money here and I'm going to have to find something to do. Right. Because you haven't been in that situation before. And it was such a huge sort of wake-up call to me. And then you're making the phone calls. You're then ringing people, asking if I can, can I come and help coach? Can I do this? Can I do that? Because you're starting to get a little bit desperate to get work. And I, no security. Yeah. You've got no security behind you. And, and that, you know, when you cut your contracts coming to an end, Mickey, and you're looking over your shoulder thinking, what's happening next? Where am I going? What am I going to do? And I remember um, it was Carlisle I was at, and my contract was up. And before the club had decided, I'd decided I had enough. I wanted some security back in my life because mm. they're not known at the end of your contract. Mm. I hated that. I like to feel secure. So the likes of yourself, Mickey, you've been in football since the YT and even before that. Paul Stevenson, Paul Smith, Tony Loma, all players we played with yeah. came out the game, woke up one day and said, I've got nothing to do. Yeah. You can I mean, understand the mental health issues in football because mm. it's a huge shock for you if you're not prepared for it. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. I think I think the thing is, it's almost like like you say, it's, it's such a big in the teeth, it's such a wake-up call that you've got to now you're just floating, you don't know what you're going to do, you know what I mean? You're just waking up every day. You haven't got that routine that I've had since I'm 16 where I'm I'm a trainer at a certain time, I'm leaving, I'm doing this. Your sort of whole life has been turned upside down, but then you've got that financial pressure, pressure as well of like, well, I need to pay the bills. So I was even thinking, well, I got, I'm going to have to go to Tesco, I'm going to have to start looking around at different places. And I was fortunate that I was doing a bit of coaching with Collie and and then the school came. Well, even then, I was out three or four nights a week on top of working. And you think, you realise how lucky you have it when you play football, really. You really do. Oh, aye, you do. And going from a working background into football, I knew how lucky I was to play football. Yeah. And so I was so fortunate, Mickey. I was late in the game, but so fortunate that I had that background. And you'd said before, how many times have we said the word fortunate? You know, there's lads out there, not fortunate, Mickey, haven't had that look, haven't had that break. The school didn't get in touch with them. The father-in-law didn't have a business. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people out there, not skilled, come out of football and think, what am I doing today? Where's my purpose in life? It's gone. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not at that point, but there's certain points along the road where you think, you know what, you, you can understand why people turn to drink or start gambling as, or just do something to take the mind off it because it Mickey that did that when we played <laughs> at times for me it was it was all I could think about you know for that like sort of six weeks and it, it, I, it like you say luckily for me and other people aren't as lucky someone reaches out to you and says look here's an opportunity do you want to, do you want to take it and, and I did and I, it's, you have to thank yourself lucky I mean you might not be earning what you were earning before and you might have to go out do another jobs either if you can, but it's better than having nothing. It is, Mickey, and I, and I bet one of the first things you did was sit down with your last, look at your direct debits and go, right, what yeah. can we get rid of? Yeah. And I was, We've I, got two cars. Do we need two cars to get rid of it? We've got to get rid of a car. I remember I had the exact conversation with Nick and I was I was crossing stuff out, don't need that. And I was crying my eyes out. I was sitting crying. So I was like, is that going to affect the kids? How is that going to affect the kids? Me being I, and I was still blaming myself for being sacked. I was still saying, but it's me not being good enough. Now that's going to affect my kids' life. And how do we have to move house? Do we have to, like you I, in the car? Do we have to not go on a holiday? And all that sort of stuff gets on top of you. And then you start having like really down days. And, and it, that point for me was really difficult. And that sort of, like you say, do we need that car? Do we have to I, have... A house like we have, can we move somewhere else? And, and I found it really difficult, I really did. I don't, there were hard times, but like I say, how many times have we said we were fortunate? Yeah. You know, I always might have been a week or two or a few months. There's some lads out there, Mickey, that we've played with, it's years. Yeah. And sometimes it has a sorry ending. Oh. So it's a big, big issue. Coming out of football is a huge, huge issue. Well, I think, to be honest, Hendo, I think we're going to, we're probably going to do a podcast at some point about football and mental health and, and speak about it and, and speaking about a lot more detail. So we might get you back on at some point and with another guest as well and, and have a real good 
in-depth chat about it because obviously we want to talk about your career. I don't want to spend the whole the whole time talking about mental health, even though I could go on all night about it. In the issue. Yeah, we could, Mickey. We could. I absolutely. Right. Well, you, you, you went into a, an industry there, though, Hendo. That's it's, it's bad for your, your proper health because I mean, you had an accident recently with your fingers. What happened there? Oh. Um, <laughs> I went on the on the table saw at work in a bit of a hurry. And someone shouted on us, and instead of switching the blade off, I went to get a bit of scrap out the saw blade. And as they shouted, I turned and the fingers went. So I lost, I've lost an inch off my middle and ring finger. It was January this year. Oh, God. I remember you ringing me and telling me about it. That sounds horrendous. I'm glad you recovered now. Back on the golf course as well. Which I was going to say, is it, I, is it affecting, the, affecting the swing end or not? Um, no, it seems all right, Mickey. At the grip, you know, I couldn't have been any more fortunate, and that's the only part of your grip that you didn't need the tips of them two fingers. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, we've got the comp coming up on Saturday, so hopefully, I get me uh, get me handicap, get back on the ball. So, hopefully, I was going to say, as long as you make the cut, but that's probably not the right term. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not the first, I've had them all fingerless gloves, everything. <laughs> I, the lot, just right, go no, I was just going to take him into the, the to the to the to your career. Then you talk about the Burnley days, and then and then obviously you, you you moved on to Hartlepool. And I guess when you went to Hartlepool, from what I you know, I wasn't at the club at the time, but it sounds to me like it was a bit of a statement transfer from Hartlepool to sign a player from a higher division and and, and bring you to the club. How did it all come about? Um, I, it wasn't a statement, mate. I got released by Burnley. I was right. on my way home. Sharon rang and said, "Kevin, I've seen the house. I want." I says, hold on, Pet, I've just lost my job. I haven't got a club, nothing. <laughs> I put the phone down to Sharon. I was driving up from Burnley. I had a car full of gear. Phone rings. Didn't know the number. Chris Turner. So right. next day, I went and met Chris. In between that, I had Dave Hodgson on the phone from Darlow. Dave says, I'm going on holiday. When I come back, don't sign for anyone. When I come back, I want to sign you. I says, no, okay. Henry, can I just stop you there? Henry, two seconds. Honestly, I had exactly the same phone call with Hodgie when I left Middlesbrough. And he was going he would be back in two months. He never rang his back. <laughs> but I didn't give him the chance, mate. Chris Turner rang. I went and met Chris the next day. And I drove to Washington Services where I met him. And uh, I sorted a deal out there and then. And I went down the next day and signed. So within 48 hours, Brilliant. it's done. I was buzzing, buzzing. I was back home. Um... Aye, it was a great days, great days. Yeah, because just going back to Hodgie, Hodgie rang me. Now, I'd been on loan, I'd gone back to Middlesbrough. So Mick Tate was like, look, I want to sign you this, that, and the other. And Hodgie was like, I can give you more money, I can give you more money. So I'll never forget, he said to me, exactly, see, I'm going older, Mickey, I'll be back in two weeks. But then Tate here, next week, turned up in mum and dad's house. And I was sitting with mum and dad, and then he was like, I've got the contract, Mickey, do you want to sign it? And I was like, I, was just, I pulled my dad into the other room, you know, like they do on Dragon's Den. I was like, <laughs> well, he was, uh, my, dad, my dad's always like cautious, you know, he was like, well, there's a contract there, there's not going to be a great deal of difference in the money, sign it. So I was like, look, mate, I enjoy my time on, but I'll sign it. Sign it, and then Hodgie came out of holiday, and he rang us up, and he absolutely was going mad at us. Ah, you promised you were great. Never spoke to us for about seven years after that. Not a word. <laughs> And it was only after the Beatles once in one of the, like, the playoff players he actually spoke for us, but he held it against us for so many years. I'm glad, I'd, I'm obviously glad I didn't want to sign for Darling anyway. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Aye, so that, that's how the signing of Hartlepool came around, I. 48 hours from leaving Burnley, I was signed and ready to go. Fantastic, that. I mean, obviously Chris was putting together a squad at that time, wasn't it, to try and really challenge and have a go under Iowa and everything. Could you sense it immediately as you turned up at the club that it was going to... I'll be honest with you, Simo. I didn't know a great deal about what was going on. I just wanted some security and I wanted yeah. to play football. Yeah. And when I went down and I spoke with Chris and he was telling us his plans and I'd been with Stan and then talking to Chris, I like chalk and cheese. <laughs> And Chris was so encouraging um, and he got a great team spirit going because when I first signed her, now Denny Ingram was there, I used to travel with Denny and Mickey will uh, back us up here. Yeah. Denny was one of the one of the jack the lads, yeah. great player, but he, li he liked to live the life. And 
but it eventually Chris got it changed. And it, it was quite quick. I remember, I think we were bottom of the league, Mickey, or in the bottom two or three. And we had a team night out and we went to the Black Bull. Yeah. It was approaching Christmas. Yeah, yeah. And we never lost a game after that. We went from in the bottom three to getting into the playoffs. I think I think we well we had Chris on last week and I think Chris he introduced sort of a lot of new things. But he had right. to he had to do it in a way that he, he had to sort of sort of get start getting rid of the lads who had been there quite a while, but we're into the sort of the old routine if you like. So the likes the, the ones that wanted to go on a Friday night and have a few pints before. I mean, they wanted to sit on the bus on the way home and have a few cans, you know. So he gradually stopped some of them and, and sort of filtered out the lads who wanted to do that. And unfortunately, then he went on and he went to Scarborough and one or two. He did, I. But he started to bring that professionalism in. And that's what yep. we spoke with him last week. That's exactly it, it Mick. The whole place over two seasons turned professional. And it was all down to Chris and Westy. And he brought in the right players that bought into what we were doing. Yeah. And it became so professional. And, and that squad at the time, obviously, was building a, 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 a really powerful squad. You were up against some real competition up front as well, weren't there? It was, it was, it was I know. Department. Gary Jones, Chris Freestone. Um, and I couldn't get a game, like. I was scoring in the resis and I just couldn't get a game. And I thought, what have I got to do here? And then I think my debut was Darlow at home. Right. And I'm not sure if we won 2-0. And I'm not sure if it was Lee Fitzpatrick scored in Schultz. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I remember that game. <laughs> that was my well, first <laughs> start. I think, I think that was my first start. Right. I mean, that, that, was, that was it, wasn't it? It was, it was a battle again in the team. And, and, but that was what was building at the time. You know, he wanted to have that competition for places, I guess. Oh, absolutely. I And... It always seemed to be he wanted to bring in a bloody centre forward. Yeah, he was, he, you know, he was like the, what's he called? Warnock or Sheffield United manager used to just sign centre forwards for fun, didn't he? Aye. Oh, we're conceding goals. We need another centre forward. Hold on, gaffer. <laughs> I remember going to Norway on pre season tour. And he, the gaffer took up the top of this mountain. I'm not kidding you, Simo. And he says, Right, lads, run down. I'm going, Hold on, we've got a game tonight. <laughs> so we went up the top of this mountain in the cable car. We had to run down, and then we had a game, and we got beat off the dog and duck or summit. <laughs> anyway, long story short, we get to the airport, and they're centre forwards on the, on the bus with me. <laughs> Tim Sperovic, remember? I remember that, eh? We were like, who is this? He's, got, he's come for a trial. We, like, we played against us where we were absolutely knackered. We could always And he was like, yeah, but he impressed everyone, didn't he? I remember that, Ted, yeah. Hi, Tim turned up the airport. We went, whoa, hold on. That was a kick in the teeth. Yeah. I remember Chris sport to me. I'm not sure if it was that season or... And we couldn't score any goals. We couldn't score any goals at all. And he said, Mickey, what's that? What's the trouble? I said, well, us at the back, if we concede, then we don't feel like we're going to get back in the game. And I think we had Jonesy and, and Chris Freestone up front. And he was like, well, I just don't know what the answer. And I, I said to him, well... Try something different. Try one of the other lads up front. You know what I mean? He, he seemed like he was. He had an idea of what he wanted at the start, and, and even though it wasn't working, he was reluctant to change it. If you know what I mean, he wanted to keep I, and give him a real good chance, which I can understand. But we just couldn't score any goals that like really before that sort of Christmas period. So my debuts down to you, Mickey. Yeah. Yes, pal. <laughs> When, when you were in the team, because you played a lot of games at the end, but who was out of all the strikers you played with? Because there was quite a few that came in, as you said, through through the time you were at the club. Who was the one you you really liked playing up front with? Tony Loma. Right. Fortnite. Tony. Tony became a bit of a battering ram, and he was a help for me. Yeah. And it wasn't me doing the battering, so I, I ran off him, and it made a nice change. Obviously, Flash. Flash was a different finisher. Laziest man in football, but what a great finisher. <laughs> you know, I heard Mickey's tale last week where he worked for 26 minutes and we did the run in 13, and that was flash. But what a finisher. Do you know what? On a similar thing, Endo, I spoke to Stevie. I would have brought this, and he, when he was at Leicester, I think Holloway was a manager. 
And obviously, you were similar. You used to get battered off the centre halves every week. They'd be coming through the back. You come. Stegi was exactly the same. And he, he said, Mick, I really enjoy playing for Leicester in the system because they had Matty Fry as the one right up top and Stegi used to play behind him. So, because Holloway's thinking was, well, Stevie's never going to be able to run up past anyone. So they used to get Stevie in the little hole, if you like, and play Matty Fry. And he said, Mick, it's so enjoyable not being clattered from behind every second of the game. Every, you know, I've got a bit of space, I've got a bit of time. And I think you were similar with Ante. Someone else was taking all the all the batterings for you. Aye, absolutely. I remember, Mick, we used to have a sweepstake. You know, people would bet on who was the first goal scorer. And that was the fans where the lads used to bet on what minute Hendo was gone off for concussion. It just got <laughs> ridiculous, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, honestly, it was. It got to the point then, though, where it used to happen that often. Then it wasn't even a concern. It was like, <laughs> yeah, Hendo's down. I <laughs> right, carry on, lads. He'll be back in a minute. Like the first couple of times, you're like, is Hendo all right? I've not seen this before. But it came so, even in training, they used to happen similar. We happening Hendo in training, we going down. We someone kicked them in the head, or and it, I mean, credit to you, Hendo, because I think a lot of the times you were putting your head somewhere where others definitely wouldn't. I, I've never been the sharpest tool in the box, Mickey. I think I just, <laughs> I love the physical, get in there and have a go. Did you, yeah. did you love that in the dressing room before the game? Were you thinking, oh, I'm going to, you know, get into these today? Is that what you want? Oh, hi, I just wanted to get in their faces. I loved upsetting centre-halves. Loved it. And I used to wind them up. Tommy Widrington taught us a few little things, as did Tony. Um, grow your fingernails so when someone gets down, you pick them up and get them under the armpit and get the nails in and stuff like that. <laughs> it's not like Tommy to have a few dirty tricks up his sleeve. Aye, Tommy, aye. aye he, he knew a few little tricks. Was that the kind of thing, though, that, 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 that impact, the effort you had, the, the, the desire you showed, that probably gave you that great rapport you had with the supporters at the time? Probably, because it was effort, Simone. Um, never being the most talented. I could strike the ball. I could take a chance. I could miss a chance. But... I always grafted, and I would like to think I gave everything. Every every minute I played for that club, I gave everything I had. So I've got no regrets. Maybe it's a few tackles I shouldn't have gone in for, and um, a few head injuries I got if I'd got my arms up, but I just wanted to compete. Yeah. I loved the competing. But I think, Andrew, as well, that probably, you know, when you say you missed a few chances, which all people are going to miss, I can't remember ever the fans getting on your back. Do you know what I mean? I can't remember ever a time, I mean, it might have been the odd, Shout at this at another book because you work so hard for the team. And I was saying this tomorrow before we came on. It's very similar for me to Joe Porter, someone that was just willing to run, run, put defenders under pressure. And for me at the back, that's like, oh, do you know what? If he's going to do that, we're going to do it from the back. And it, it just gives you such a boost. And Joe was exactly the same. You'd see him sliding across or running to chase someone down. The crowd get up, they give him a clap. And all of a sudden, the whole team's lifted because you, you put a bit of effort in. It is, I It's effort. And it goes a long, long way, Mickey. If someone's prepared to put their cell about, put the effort in. You know, you watch the Premier League week in, week out, and they've all got talent. But there's not all of them's prepared to put a shift in. like, And it would have make a big difference to them if they did. Yeah. Going back to what you said, Henry, about that physical sort of confrontation in the game. I remember when I retired, and that was one thing I, I used to miss, because you know when you get a kick and you wake up and you're sore the next morning, or you're getting an elbow and you've got a black eye, and, and my missus used to say, how can you miss getting hurt? Oh, I, I actually miss going to see the physio, and the physio putting his hands like on me knee and, and looking at it and sort of go, oh, maybe I'll be all right, and, and getting you back out playing again, you know what I mean? And she thinks I'm absolutely balmy. She's like, I can't understand. Like, and I said to you, I actually miss sort of, if I cut my head open, I remember cut my head open, Brentford coming home, it was a bit like a war wound, like, like 16 stitches in my head, and you go to work the next day. If I went to work with 16 stitches now, I probably wouldn't be allowed in. <laughs> Aye. No, no, you, you didn't. You do, you do miss it, like. I'm not saying I wanted to get injured, but I love the physical battle. Uh, Sent a half at York. Was it Satori? Yeah, yeah. Big, big. He, he loved the scrap. Um, got him sent off. <laughs> well, I see he got his cell sent off. He wiped us out. <laughs> Aye. Like, what did he do? He, what, he clad you? I, well, I was winding him up. I was uh, teasing him in, shall I say. 
and I, he was uh, he, he wasn't he didn't have much finesse about himself, so he was like a bull, and he came through the back of us, and I, I think I just took a little bit too long to get up, and off he went. <laughs> I think uh, I think that was the York game on Boxing was it Boxing Day yeah. on New Year's Eve or summer two thousand. We won two one. Well, he's actually my son now, isn't he? He worked for Man City in England. I thought that was him, I. I knew I wouldn't forget his face. You never forget his conk. Ah, he's got a hooter and a half, hasn't he? <laughs> now he's a masseuse. Yeah. Ah, you could walk the channel him and still breathe all the way. Aye. You mentioned the, 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 the boxing day against York. I think that's that's one of the pinnacles of your Hartlepool time, isn't it? The... Uh, the brace you scored against uh, York on Boxing Day. Do you want to talk us Mark, through? I'll be honest with you. I was thinking, how can I get that game in? <laughs> <laughs> I've got to think of a way. And I've just, you lined us up perfect there. Sent a half, a bit of a scrap. York. <laughs> you go. later on to get that goal in. Don't worry about that. But go All on, right, we'll not talk about it now. It was a good win. It was 2-1. <laughs> <laughs> no, go on, talk us through it. Give us some detail. Um, the only thing I remember, the ball going up in the air, and Steve, I shouting, lay it off, lay it off. And I heard him shout, what the great goal, Hendo. Because <laughs> I obviously I timed it perfect. And I still tell the tale now that Bobby Mims is still looking for it. And Beaver says, I still can't believe you lay, didn't lay it off for us. I watched it again on YouTube today. I, I still can't believe it. It's uh, incredible. Oh, it's like amazing goal. The best thing about him was it actually shut, it actually shut uh, Steve up for a little bit. Just I mean, that took some Dean, didn't it? <laughs> It's a question. It's a question I asked footballers a lot when they score the goals like that, the sort of instinctive ones. But how? I mean, obviously it's twenty year ago now. But how quickly do you get the picture in your mind when the ball's in the air? There, you've got to very quickly process. Right, what am I going to do? How how did you come up with that? Why did you attempt it from so Bimo, far? Do you, want, do you want me to answer that or Hendo? <laughs> <laughs> Go on, Hendo. I'll let you. You score more goals than me. I uh, I don't remember seeing the picture. I just it was instinct. It was reaction. Yeah. And it's not something you can practice. It just happened. Yeah. And it was fluke. I hit it sweet as the nut mind. And I'll never. Hit, I tried every week for six weeks, and it ended up in a heap on the deck. So that tells you it's just a one-off thing. It doesn't happen very often when you hit it like that. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those centre forwards like you hear people say. You have to be in the right position at the right time to score a tap in. It's just an instinct that a, that a centre forward would have. If you put a midfielder in there or a defender, they wouldn't have that instinct to even try it. And I think it's just probably a bit of spatial awareness of where you are, where the ball's coming from. And like you say, you can't, to score a goal like that, you can't practice it. It's, it's not something that you're going to be able to recreate on a training pitch. It's just a natural instinct of scoring a wonder goal. Uh, there's a lot of people out there think just pure luck. I'm going to tell you it was skill. It was pure technical ability. <laughs> the only problem is, in, in, these day, in this day and age, Hendo, you'd be in the dressing room afterwards sticking that straight on your Instagram, wouldn't you? And, and, oh, I know. The times I've thought, you know, social media was just 10 years too late for me. <laughs> well, Shane, we, we talked the other week about Michael Mackay, and uh, he, he's not the he, lovely lad, but like you said, not the sharpest tool in the box, Hendo, and he, he actually scored a goal. I'll, I'll never forget it. Was it, it was in Hartlepool at the big, and um, it got disallowed. It was referee said they were lying and said I hadn't gone over. So he come in on the Monday morning, and he filmed it on Sky, but then he paused it on Sky and took a picture of it on his phone. So he's come in, and he was like, lads, it was in. <laughs> So he's got the phone in, he's going around showing everyone, trying to prove it was in. Yet when he's paused it, the ball wasn't even over the line. Was it not? His picture wasn't even anywhere near the line. I was like, yeah, it just sums back up there. That, that does about some Michael up, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but when I was asking people about you earlier on, Hendo, that there's a couple of, couple of things that they, asked, they said we should ask you about. Is one that... A game at Darlington where Andy Collett was just incredible and kept everything you hit out of the net. He should have been sent off, like. Should he? And had his first 20 minutes, he came rushing out the box and took us out. And right. Collie knows. You, you see Collie, get him on, ask him. He should have been sent <laughs> off. But he could have played for England that day. He was outstanding. 
is that game is the only, and he'll, he'll love me for saying this, but that game is the only time I've ever seen anyone get a 10 in the Northern Echo. Right. I actually deserve it. He was unbelievable that day. He was, like. I've known Collie since I was 16 year old. I played Middlesbrough with him and, and he was a good goalkeeper. But that day, he was just on another level. No matter what you'd done, he, he was stopping everything, you know. It was, Aye, it he was. was. He was outstanding. Aye. Is that something you've spoken to about since, you know, I'd have a laugh about? Aye, I saw him down the Vic a few years ago and he was there. And I said, you're still living off that game, lad. Because <laughs> honestly, that game for him was like my overhead kick. It was outstanding. Yeah. It was. Uh, it was like a force field or something. You had telepathy. I don't know what it was, but I was. I'm still waiting for my uh, moment, like Hendo. I have to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I think I did a good tackle once about 2010. Oh come on, Mick. <laughs> I'd be tired then. Yeah. I tell you what. What I, I I did hear about you earlier on, which I I hadn't heard before, but we talked about earlier the rapport you had with supporters. And um, one in particular, I, I, I know that you had a good affection with was a, a, was a lady called Doreen Ritchie. Doreen Ritchie, who um, I'm led to believe that you know every after every game, if we'd won, you went and you know said hello to her after the game. And, I did. I'm, and I, she, I believe even 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 about 13 years ago, you, you surprised her at her 80th birthday and went down to her to say hello. That that's that's the kind of you know the close knit thing we had at Hartlepool at the time. And what, it what was. You know, she used to sit right next, right in the front, next to the tunnel. And you knew she was there every week. I used to look for her, I'd give her a wave. And I don't know how it came about, but just struck up a rapport with her. And I, I still now and again get messages off her family. We would get Christmas cards off her. I'd send her a Christmas card. And I think, God bless her, she's in a home now. Um, and she's got dementia. Mm -hmm. But I still get updates. Um, so, yeah, I still look out and hope she's all right. That was a nice touch, turning up on her birthday as well. I asked as it was her 80th, and um, when I left pool, before I left, I gave her one of my shirts, and I turned up for her birthday. She didn't have a clue. She had my shirt on. I was buzzing. <laughs> so, well, you better get dressed up for your birthday, haven't you? Why, well, yeah, I? <laughs> I normally wear my Hendo shirt when it's my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there was any left. I thought I'd kept them all. <laughs> no. So, Hendo, just going from, obviously, the time with Chris Turner and then, obviously, Chris left and newly came in. Um, was, what was the difference like in the changing room? What was newly like? What was different to Chris in any way? Um, I newly, newly was a bit more off the cuff. He had a little bit more aggression about him. Um, I got on really well with newly. Um, mm. He gave us a start on Boxing Day away at Hull when Hull's new stadium opened. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember. Remember that game, I 24,000 sellout, what a noise. And But some of the lads, if you didn't graft for Newley, he would dig you out. And I think that cost were a little bit, that he didn't keep the squad together. I think he did dig one or two out, and that upset the rhythm a little bit. Yeah. But personally, I got on great with him, and I thought he was fantastic. But I could see how the squad suffered when he wasn't, he didn't keep everyone gelled together like Chris did. That was the problem we had, and that's what cost us top spot. He was always with Newley, like he, he was quite happy to, to start an argument. Like he, he must have thought, I woke up some days and go, I'll just have an argument with someone today. And he I, didn't, yeah, he was like, it could be something random, you know what I mean? I, but on the other side of that, we used to do things. To get the lads again, like, I remember we had a we had a golf day. It might even be Joe Allen that organised a golf day up at um, near Bertley. I was it Ravensworth. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then newly went right. Everyone has to go to Newcastle for a few drinks. But the next day we had a reserve game. So I, mean, I think one of the lads was like, "Mickey, I don't want to go because um, I'm playing the reserves." And I was like, "Well, just come to Newcastle, have a couple of cokes, and then shoot off." So we've had a couple of beers anyway, and you could see all the lads in the reserves reaching to have a few pints rather than stay on the soft drinks. So newly come up and he went, um, right, that's it, lads. Everyone that's out is out. No one's playing in reserves. So the lads went, get in, no, no reserve game tomorrow. <laughs> I remember being in Bajas down the uh, quayside, and the lads were like, well, I'll buy them. And you could see newly going around one-to-one -one, talking to people, and then all of a sudden the heads were just dropping. So I've gone over to the one of the lads, I said, what's he saying here? He went, it's just about half one in the morning. 
He was like, he told us we're playing in the reserves again now. <laughs> Mate, <laughs> I was... Like random things that um, that you would just couldn't work out why he was doing it or like... There was what... a couple of things were, were, um, were Mike. The first one, you remember the nitty gritty? Yeah, yeah. He took all into the dressing room at the Vic, walked in behind her, shut the door, locked it and put the key in his pocket. He says, right lads, we're going to have a nitty gritty. And we we didn't have a clue what he was talking about, did we? <laughs> so he says, I'll tell you what it is. And he went round the squad. I tell you, Simo, he went round every single player in that squad. You're all right. You need to lose weight. You're soft as shite. You're always in. He went round the squad. He come to me. He went, Endo, I love you. I could have cried, honestly. <laughs> I could have shrilled and went under the bench. And yeah, then... I'll never forget, he went round, he went to Jim Proverty, didn't he? And you don't train hard enough, you don't do this, you need to lose weight. And Jim was like, what are you talking about? I played zero <laughs> minutes. I've never played a minute, it's not my fault. <laughs> I, Jim was the only one that stood up and had to go back. <laughs> so I getting back to training when Yuli, he'd got rid of the fitness coach, couldn't do it himself. So he just set off running round Hoffle. We did the longest warm-up, Simo, I'm telling you. We just kept running, because Newley could run, by the way. Yeah, it was fit as a fiddle. Absolutely. Just did this fart leg for about 45 minutes. We were knackered. We couldn't train. And all we did was keep running. Just He would change direction. It was like trying to catch chickens. Just kept on running after them. What about when he used to... He used to go... Like, we used to always train at the ground on a Thursday. Like, every Thursday, we'd be at the ground. We'd be doing, like, team shape. Little five-a-side. And then he'd go and goal. And he'd be like, lads, just get a ball each and just take shots at us. But he'd put the gloves on and he'd be diving full length across like, and he would be gutted if he let one in. And the lads were like trying their best to, to get it past him. And he'd be diving full length, tipping them around the corner, getting up for the next one. Like he was a proper goalkeeper. He absolutely loved those Thursdays beating goal. He did, he loved it. He loved, he loved it. He was yeah. off the cuff, but I, I loved him a bit. He was great. I remember sat at the end of Clarence Road once in my car at the traffic lights right at the end of Clarence Road and the traffic lights are on red and my car starts moving forward and I'm like, what's, what's going on here? And then I look in the rear view mirror and Mike's behind us pushing us with his car. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Pushing us out into the junction. <laughs> I, I just feel you all over. I just felt sorry for Sheeds because every time we went out, I remember we were in uh, Lillishaw where we were staying over for like three or four days and um, we went out and every time there was someone's round, he was like, lads, we'll get them in, don't worry, we'll get them. So we were like, oh, champion. And um, he just turned to Sheeds and go, Sheeds, go and get the drinks in. <laughs> remember when he got a flat tyre on the M62? After, it was a night game, he's driving home to Liverpool and he told us this tale, they got a flat tyre, he wasn't in the RAC. So as Sheeds was his assistant, he made Sheeds change the tyres. He sat in the car. It was lashing down on the M62. <laughs> oh, it was brilliant. I don't think he got on so well with the chairman at the time, unfortunately. No, I think that the off-the-cuff style, the chairman didn't like that. He liked regimental, he liked routine. And he liked to, I'm not saying he liked to be in control, but he liked to have a say in what was going on. Newly wanted to be his own man, and it was yeah. never going to work. I remember newly, it was after the end of the season, we were yeah. going, we were in Newcastle Airport, we were actually flying uh, on holiday. Newly rang us up. He was like, Mickey, you're mates with Stevie Howard, aren't you? I was like, yeah, yeah. He says, I'm pulling out all the stops. I'm going to try and get them back. I don't even know where Stevie was at the time. And I was like, all right, he might, he might be in Northampton or he might be in Luton. And I was like, right, okay. I said, um, yeah, that's fine. I'm sure if you, if you can sort a deal out, you're more than happy to come back. So we landed, you know, and you'd put your phone on. It was newly again. He was like, um, the deal for Stevie's off. I've been sacked. So in the time I'd flown, <laughs> <laughs> by the time I'd flown to Portugal or wherever else was going, he must have got a phone call and said it was done like that so quick. But newly was brilliant. He used to walk, like, the lads loved him because I think he was so eccentric. He used to do his team talks with, like, a bacon sandwich in his hand. So he'd I come like in. And he'd walk around the dressing room, he'd come past you and be like, Mickey, just make sure you're like, tight with him today. But munching on a bacon sandwich and he'd walk up. And he was just so... I don't know whether he'd he, he been brought up with managers that were off the cuff and a little bit wacky like that and he wanted to be like that. Or it was just his personality. But I loved it. I loved the, the, 
the short time we had with him, I loved the train, I loved his enthusiasm, I loved the... Like you made it a something. really fun place to be. Oh, I did, 100%. I spoke to him two days before he got sacked. He says, Hendo, you've got a year left. He says, I want to tie you down for longer. I thought, champion, spot on. Then he got sacked. Three months <laughs> later, I was out the door. <laughs> That that was the most bizarre. It must have been the most bizarre promotion at the end of all that hard work. We, end, we ended up going to Scunthorpe that day, didn't we? And, and losing four nil, but yeah. also winning promotion. What was that like for you two playing in that game? Well, I, I remember at the end of the whistle, I just went straight down the tunnel. Yeah. So I've gone the tunnel. I've started shouting, chucking a few things around. Newley's in there, he's absolutely keying a couple of the lads. So there's about five or six in there and it's, it's proper getting heated. There's people really upset. But there's only five or six of us. The Hums wasn't in there, I was looking around, I was like, where's Hums at? Where's it? Where's he? Where's that? I couldn't see anyone and I was like, something's not right here. You don't normally take that long after a defeat to get in, you wouldn't be clapping the fans. And then someone comes in when we're being promoted and I was like, so just being promoted, half of them are outside celebrating with the fans and the rest of us are in here having a massive ding-dong. And it was even like, you couldn't even really celebrate getting promoted after you get beat 4-0. Strange one, wasn't it? No, it was really sour, wasn't it? It was, we'd achieved the goal that we'd set for, because we made the playoffs, made the playoffs three years on the spin. Then eventually we went up, but we went up in such devastating fact fashion. It was, uh, it was disappointing and you couldn't celebrate, Mickey. No, I couldn't. Yeah. It was just, it was just an auto, like, well, anytime you get beat 4 0, you've got that awful feeling that you, you haven't played well, you haven't earned your money, you haven't let the fans down. Yeah, the oh, fans you go to kick the dog, fall out with the wife. Aye. Yeah, it was just, uh, it, it sort of summed up that season in a way that it was a little bit unconventional, a little bit different to what should really happen. Aye. And you mentioned that obviously the next season it, you went. Did you go on loan of it initially to Carlisle? Didn't you after that? I did. I um, I had an operation that summer. Another, and when I came back, uh, Coop said I wasn't fit. So I think it was his way of getting me off the wage bill and getting someone else in that he liked. But that's a different story. And I got a phone call off Scotty. Do you want to go to Carlisle on loan? I says, well, whether I want to or not, you obviously want me out the door. So I says, yeah, I'll go. And I knew they were in real trouble. But I had family from Carlisle and it kept us at home. And I thought, if I'm not really wanted by the current management, then I'm not going to stay there. So I went, cut me losses and went for a month's loan initially. And after two weeks, Simo pulled us and he said, I want to sign you. And I thought, so I rang um, Maureen up, Maureen Smith. I says, Maureen. Uh, Simo's at Carlisle wants to sign us. I said, I've only been here two weeks. I've got two weeks left. And I says, I've still got eight months on my contract. She says, we well, need to speak to the gaffer. So I, I rang uh, I rang Scotty. I couldn't get the gaffer. And Scotty answered. And called us a few names. Put us on to the gaffer. He called us a few more. <laughs> threatened, threatened us with training with the kids. And long story short, the next day I signed for Carlisle. So I left Hartlepool. I was forced out. I didn't want to leave. Um, but when I knew I wasn't really wanted, I wasn't going to hang about. Yeah. And I went to Carlisle and we did go down. We got promotion. I had another good time there. So, I, everything happens for a reason, Simo. And I mean, you won't let that overshadow because, you know... Sorry, I'm just making a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> We're so late. Uh, sweet <laughs> Um, no, I mean, it's going over shadow your time at Hartlepool the way that it ended because, you know, by and large, it was it was good times, wasn't it? Well, like I say, three seasons in the playoffs and then promotion. And I was part of, I was part of the start of, of the transformation of the club. Yeah. Like Mickey said before, from the, re the regime and the routine that they had needed to change to be successful. And Chris Turner started it. And the likes of Mickey that was there and then stayed through it, just as testament to what Mickey was as a lad, as a professional, that he took it all on board. I remember when they signed Richie Humphreys and his skills. Remember his skills, Mickey? Everywhere Humps went, he took a set of skills. <laughs> and that was like, shit, this, this is professional. We've changed now. And I was, I was privileged to be part of that. Yeah. And that's when everyone says, what's the best time in your career? 
those four and a bit years at Hartlepool were the best. So, Hendel, you know, when you went to Carlisle, who was in that team then? Who was who was the players that people might know? Or... Peter Murphy. All right, Richard yeah. Richard Foran. Um, Matty Glennon. Right. Um, then we signed, eventually we signed Kev Gray. That was Brendan McGill. Then we signed Arnie. Arnie came over. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, Big Russell was there. Mark Summerbell. You know Summers. Yeah, I know Summers well, yeah. So there was there was some good players there, yeah, yeah. Um, but it was strange. I went from such a professional dressing room to a one that wasn't so professional. And Simo did at Carlisle what Chris Turner did at Hartlepool. It was just four years later, and they had to go down to I think restructure, regroup, and they came back stronger. Got promotion, got to Wembley, got promotion again. So again, I was part of the turning round of a club. Just like quick fire questions, Kev. So a quick answer and then little reason why. Right up. All right. So number one, favourite ground that you've played at? Oh, it's got to be the Vic. I love the Vic, the full Vic. When it was bouncing and they're shouting your name, there's no better place to be. So I love the Vic. I played at St James's Park, which is my team I've supported as a kid. But playing at a full Vic in the front of six, seven thousand sometimes that we had. When we played Darlow, the atmosphere was unreal. Loved it. Oh, brilliant. Right, number two, the toughest opponents or who who made your life hell? Who who give you a tough time every time you played against them? Can you remember Danny Shitto? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was like John Coffey of football. The kid was a mountain. <laughs> a mountain. He was quick. He was strong. He was tall. He's the only centre-half that I've ever thought, waste me time here, like. <laughs> he couldn't wind uh, He was awesome. I remember the game at Blackpool in the playoffs, and I'm not uh, sure whether Spike had gone up front for the second half, or, and it, anyway, the, the, the ball was set back, and it was, you know, that diagonal that everyone plays out wide, yeah. and Spike was up there, and Spike was pretty strong, you know what I mean? Big lad, strong. And Danny Shield just like ran into him and Spike just bounced about six foot. It did, I remember him. He absolutely battered him. And I was like, this is some like 19-year-old kid that's on loan from somewhere. He's he was on loan from QPR, I think, Mickey. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, Danny, Danny Shit is a, is a, is a centre-half that gives us a hard time. Yeah. I remember talking to centre-halves as well. We, we were in Magaluf once and... Um, we're drinking this shot and it was something like 80% proof. So if you had one, you weren't having another one. Simple as. If you'd managed to neck one of them, you'd done well. So the people would walk past. And Aston Villa were there and Ugo Egeog came walking past. And we were sat with a couple of the Aston Villa lads and he come past and he went, what are you drinking there? So one of the lads went, oh, you can have one if you want. Thinking, oh, we're stitching up good time here. We'll, we'll get them done over here. So he got one, he drank it. And he didn't even flinch. And proof is, did not flinch. And um, he turned around and went, Oh, it's a nice little tipple. I can have another. And we were all just like, Whoa! Because uh, he, was, he was like massive. He as was well. a big he lad, was, wasn't he? Oh, but I, I've never ever seen anyone that asked for one more shot of that stuff. Incredible. Right, question number three. And you might have answered this already, but we'll, we'll, we'll ask a question. Favorite goal? <laughs> <laughs> However, he, you know, I take some stick because every year I put that goal on. It's always on social media. You'll never score another goal like that, Mickey. I know. We were well, told, I had we, a question, though. It's one of my questions. So we were told you were going to be reluctant to talk about it with Kev as well. I know. I, I it does take some coaxing to get it out of us, Simo. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next one. Uh, Funniest teammate, so who makes you laugh the most that you've played with? Remember Midge, Craig Midgley? Yeah. You never left your mobile lying because Midge got it. I remember Midge getting, he used to get people's mobiles and send messages to random people. Oh, no. But someone got Midge back. We got his phone and we sent a message and it was the head of the FA coaching. I can't remember his name at the time. And we told him how much he loved him and wanted to spend time with him. But Midge, Midge was hilarious. He loved the prank, Midge. Yeah. Can you remember Midge's dad used to follow the team round in his van? Aye. He's just passed away recently, Midge's dad. Has he? 
I remember getting him because he was so opposite of my dad. My dad came to about three games in his whole life. One was Cardiff. But Midge's dad would go everywhere with him. So he would go to Torquay, but he'd take his van. He had a mattress in the back of the van, and he would just sit over it in his own van in a mattress and have a couple of cans, drive to the game, and then drive home the next day. And he would oh, he went everywhere for him, didn't he? I, I couldn't believe it. it. It was incredible how much sort of dedication he had to follow his son. Oh, so to the extent that he bought his van, the mattress, just to travel around the country. In. Great. Uh, was what Daryl Clark as well, Mickey. Uh, There's a t- story about Daryl. Um, when he was at, was he at Mansfield with Tony Loma? And they'd run a, a quiz. And your prize was a meal with Tony Loma and Daryl Clark. So the fans entered one. So sitting at, sitting out in this pub, having a restaurant, having a meal. The waiter comes. So Daryl, how, how would you like your steak done? He says, oh, grilled. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right for Daryl. Well, I <laughs> trigger all day. Next one, ugliest teammate. Ugliest? Yeah. Uh, sorry, like, it's got to be Nolsey. <laughs> Nolsey grew a tash to hide his face. That's how bad he was. To hide his face. <laughs> I, he couldn't grow a beard, he just grew a tash. I'm trying to hide Nolsey. behind it. Can you remember the story when he, I hope he doesn't mind us telling it, but I'll tell it anyway, when he cut his cock. Oh, mate, I was thinking that I was in hospital the same day. Him all right. So the ball came out on the far side. He's trying to let the ball run out. And someone's gone round him with his foot to try and keep it in. And he's gone down and I've gone. He's got kicked in the nuts there. <laughs> but he stayed down. So he shouted over to me, Mickey, Mickey, I need to come off. So I've shouted to Chris, he needs to come off, Gaffer. Chris has gone, what's wrong with him? So I've shouted at Olsey, what's wrong with Olsey? And then this kid broad York actually went, I've cut my cock open. <laughs> I've had to shout at Chris, he's cut his cock open, Chris. So Chris is talking to Westy and he's shouted back, he's what? I said, he's put his cock right up and he's going to have to come off. And he had he, the top bit, he just sliced the whole top and it all, it all come apart. He had to go and get about 15 stitches in the top of it. M- Mickey, I was in hospital. I did my ligaments that day and I was already there in that game. I was in the hospital. And my father-in-law, Billy, comes in to see us with my mum, Sharon. Oh, Nolsey's on his way. I says, eh? Oh, is he all right? No, he's hurt his elbow. He's hurt his elbow. Aye. So M- Nolsey comes in. I says, how's your elbow, Nolsey? He says, it's not my elbow, it's my knob. I said, <laughs> so because he was holding himself, Billy thought it was his elbow, but it wasn't. And the nurses all took pictures so that later on that night they come round and we're talking about it and they showed us pictures of it, making it was gruesome. Oh, I remember the next week we were playing away somewhere and Nosey was, he was stingy, he was tight Nosey, so he wanted to get his appearance money for playing. Oh, and I think a physio at the time had said, look, Nosey, you shouldn't be playing with that. So we got out of the ground. I can't remember where it was we were playing, but it was definitely a weird game. And Nolsey's got in with the physio. And um, so the physio's trying to strap it up. So Nolsey comes walking past me, and his whole piece is like strapped together. Did he not wear a box? He wore a box as well. There's no way he can play a full game with that. (laughs) Aye. Well, that's the story I have never heard before. Have you never heard that one, Simo? Never heard that before. Oh, it was like a skin Frankfurt. It was all hanging. Oh. But yeah, I've never... Like, the look on Chris's face when I shouted across what was wrong with him, he, he almost, like, went, nah, surely not. That's not... Well, I cut it... He cut it right almost nearly off. Oh, my God. And I've just said he's the ugliest player I've played with. <laughs> he's got the ugliest cock. <laughs> I wouldn't have <laughs> Right, next, next question. The fastest teammate. Fastest. You don't have to say me. <laughs> no, you, you were uh, definitely not. Um, <laughs> what about Andy McAvoy? Remember Andy McAvoy? Yeah, yeah. Mac- he, was, he was quick, right? Oh, he was lightning. I mean, he had to be to get his second touch, like, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we said... We say Macca from, was it Middlesbrough we got him for? Oh, Blackburn, did he not come with, with Fitzy? Yeah, he was stocky. Well, I remember Macca, he, 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 he could have been a good player, but he was, he was quick, eh? 
really quick. Right, this might be a, a test for the next one. Biggest drinker. Biggest drinker? Yeah. Strods? Remember Gary Strodder? Yeah. Denny Ingram? Denny. And then I went to Carlisle. <laughs> There's a few there. No, I'm, I'm going to go with Denny because Denny could sup. Yeah. He, he just, Denny just wanted to have a drink wherever he went. But how, so, he, was, he was a pure athlete. Yeah. How could he, could he have been if he'd lived the lifestyle that he should have lived? He just he, he he used to go and he'd be like, I'm going shopping and end up having a pint somewhere, you know what I mean? He's just one of them lads that always ended up in a pub or having a drink. Sounds Aye. like <laughs> Aye. He, he, lo he loved the pint. I remember Strods, I, I mean I love playing with Strods because he made my life so easy. He's just big. Uh, big he's a proper man, a bit like Nigel Pearson, I thought he's a proper man. He was a proper centre half a man. <laughs> So when I was playing behind him as a sweep, I was just like, Strauss, you just had everything. But I did get on the wrong side with once because we were doing pre-season. And um, yeah, we were doing the 1,000 metres and I was in the slow group with Strauss and a couple of the other lads. <laughs> and I went past him and he shouted, he just went, Mickey, hey, slow down. In this like gravelly voice. And I was like, oh God, I've upset him. But he was the first one of the players that actually wore a watch. So he was timing to the perfection. He was, I. Loud. So he was getting in with one second to spare. And he was like, we don't need to go any faster, Mickey. As long as we're in on time, that'll do me. But he was a big, big, strong guy, Strauss. Right, good lad. Right, last question. Oh, we've got two more, actually. Worst dressed teammate? Oh, it's got to be Steve. Yes. <laughs> Steve. He loved the lilac number from George. <laughs> he loved it. Aye. He used to always say, it doesn't matter about what you're wearing, lads, it's about Aye. your boat race. Aye. <laughs> what did he used to say? He says, you can change your clothes, you can't change how ugly you are. <laughs> Aye. Right, last, last question. The teammate you wouldn't want to be in your family? Oh. Jammer did something, was it Jammer or Spike, when we're in Holland, KNVB? Yeah. They used to prank each other, didn't they? Jamie and Easter. One of them left something in one's pillar, and they could smell <laughs> it in the room. But it, honestly, it went on for hours, and it wasn't until he went to bed and put his head on the pillar that he found what he left. And I can't remember if it was Spike <laughs> or Jammer, but whoever did that, would never be in my family. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll never forget, Mark Robinson told me a story. And I was probably there at the time about Jammer. Jammer used to, he was quite quiet, Jermaine, but he would, he would just play the odd prank now and again. And, and Robbo had done something to Jammer. And Jammer was one of them who would just like, like, okay, fine. And not really make a big deal of it. But one day he was just sat in the chain room. Robbo was brushing his teeth, brushing away, spits all the stuff out. And Jammer just sat in the corner, just smiling at himself, giggling. So one of the lads went, Jammer, what's up with you? He went, well, he doesn't know where I put his toothbrush this morning to get him back. And he'd basically gone to the toilet and got his toothbrush oh. right round the room of the toilet in Maiden Castle as well, where there's about I remember that. And just put it back in his bag. And he was like, I told you I'd have the last laugh. Aye, <laughs> the silent assassin Jammer, wasn't he? <laughs> he never forgot it and he would always get back. Um, well, well, thanks, Endo, for uh, for joining us tonight. Hope you've enjoyed it uh, as much as we have. Brilliant. Thanks. Oh, absolute pleasure. It's always great to reminisce, mate. <laughs> and uh, get yourself back on the golf course. I am going to try and squeeze a game in tomorrow night. And maybe Thursday. I don't know if I'll play Friday, but definitely Saturday <laughs> and Sunday. It does sound like you work hard, my Endo. You what? Sorry, Mickey? It does sound like you work hard. Mate, I tell you what, Mickey, I'm still working on the golf course, man. I never switched the phone off. Nah, that's a thing. Corporate, corporate. It's called um, networking, Mickey. Networking. Yeah, I've heard about it. Brilliant. We'll have a knock one day. Yeah, I would like that. Yeah. Well, thanks, mate. I appreciate that. Thank you very much, Endo. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for the time, boys. Good to chat. Cheers, Lovely Thank to you. See Cheers, you Mickey. Mickey, what another great guest, uh, Hendo. He's great value, isn't he? What a good personality.
Yeah, he is. He's, he's, he, he likes reminiscent. That's the first thing he taught when I text him about coming on. He was like, oh, I'd love to do with Mickey. I love reminiscing. He loves talking about playing for Hartlepool. He can sense the pride that he's still got about playing for Hartlepool. And he, he had real connections with the supporters. The supporters loved him in general. Um, the story about the old lady and going to the birth, it sums him up. Yeah. He's a good guy who liked playing football, would give his heart and soul on the pitch. Probably why he got injured so much. But um, yeah, it was nice to see him. As I say, he's one of the good guys. Well, another good guest down and uh, switch a player and we'll round it off there. But we'll be back uh, next week with uh, yet another good uh, guest to, to join us as well. So, Mickey, uh, have a great week and we'll see you then. Cheers, Mark. Take care.